Good to see everybody out this morning. Welcome to Victory Way Baptist Church. Going to just open us in prayer, and we'll turn it over to Brother Stephen. And, and it looks like Maddie also to, to lead the singing this morning. Glad you're here. Uh, got my friend Brother Harold Vaughn here today, Evangelist Harold Vaughn, and looking forward to hearing the, uh, the Word of God from the man of God today. And so you be praying for him. And so let's just ask the Lord to bless our service. Father, just want to thank you. Lord, even in the midst, Lord, of sometimes valleys, Lord, you're always present. We want to praise you for that, Lord. We want to praise you today, Lord, because you're worthy of it. I want to praise you today because you deserve every ounce of glory and, and honor and praise that we can give you, Lord. And we just want to thank you, Lord, for uh, a place to assemble. We want to thank you, Lord, for uh, the word of God that we have to open up that can speak to our hearts, Lord, that can change lives. And I pray today if there would be anyone in this place today that knows you not as Lord and Savior, that today would be their day of salvation. I pray for your dear saints, Lord, that, that need some encouragement today, Lord, that encouragement would uh, uh, would be what they get, Lord, for those that maybe need some correction, Lord, we'd get, we'd receive that correction from our loving God, and Lord, so we can put our path, you can set us back on the right path, and may just everything that's said, everything that's done today, glorify and magnify the name of the Lord Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, before we go any further, maybe, let me look around, yeah, there they are, all right, let me do this before we get singing and, and start, uh, we got to embarrass a couple people, all right, but let's see did he wear a red shirt that's the question no Noah did not all right Noah and Kaylin would y'all come on up real quick and and uh, we'll get you guys embarrassed here and this is their marriage certificate uh and so they were wed I guess two weekends ago right on, on Saturday down in the Magnolia Plantation in Charleston, South Carolina. So you guys be praying for them, brand new newlyweds, and had to go and quarantine together for a little bit, and they're still together. So praise God. So anyway, uh, y'all give them a hand and congratulate them. Amen. All right, Brother Stephen, let's let's worship the Lord. The yellow one. There we go. Good morning. Hey, we're a little discombobulated this morning, so uh, please stand as we sing. We begin our service, but usually we hit it, hit it with rapid fire, but, but Joanne doesn't have her music, so it's kind of like a sword drill, but, but it's in the hymnal, so we'll see how long it takes her to transition. Please stand as we sing.
all that for us on an old rugged cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and I love that old cross where the dearest and blessed for a world
congregation and you may be seated we'll have our special music from Larry and friends Psalms chapter 55 verse 22 it says to cast all your burdens upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee this song here is about bring it to Jesus that uh, he's got the answer
How many of y'all are thankful we can cast our cares upon him for he careth for us? Amen. I'm thankful we can bring it to Jesus. And uh, and even when we don't see the answer, hey, he's a God that's above anything we can think. Anything that, uh, listen, he can do what we can't do. He can do what we can't even think. And uh, uh, he's the God of the impossible. And I'm thankful I serve that kind of God. Here's what I want to do. Just take a moment here. And, and I think we'll sing one more. Uh, praise song here and brother Vaughn will come up right after that and, and preach to our hearts and so but we want to take a moment and have a, a moment of corporate prayer here and uh yeah you pray there in your seat for just a moment how many of you got a burden on your heart today anybody got one like that and and I certainly do too and so let's take a moment pray for that burden and pray for others as well as you mind and also do this pray listen let's not forget at the end of the day there, there's one there, there's only two destinations where we're going to head right <laughs> And depends on what we believed and and what we did with Jesus. And so, if, if if you've never pray for somebody that you know that never has trusted Jesus, maybe they're here, maybe they're not here, or maybe they're on. You never know who's watching. You never know who's listening. You never know what's going to happen. And uh, pray that the gospel would penetrate their heart today. They would get saved and uh, and lift them up in prayer. So just spend a moment or two in prayer together. Father, today all over this room, all over our sanctuary, all over, Lord, even folks maybe watching at home today, uh, Lord, there's burdensome. Lord, I'm thankful today that you are our burden bearer. I'm thankful today that, Lord, we can bring those to you, Lord, that, uh, Lord, you, you want to give us rest from those things, Lord. And, and today, Lord, to the best of our abilities, I, I'm praying that each of us would just really learn the principle uh, that verse in Peter, Lord, to cast our cares upon you, for you care for us. And Lord, I, there's there's folks on our hearts today that, Lord, we we don't believe have ever trusted you that we care about. And Lord, we sure would love them to get saved. I pray that you'd have your eternal work, Lord, that you draw them unto yourself, Lord, and, and as they hear the gospel, the fact that there's a God in heaven that loved them so much that he enrobed himself in flesh, came to this old sin-cursed mud ball for one reason, to seek and save that was that which is lost, and to willingly lay his life down on Calvary's cross, to shed his blood, and, and then praise God to be buried and raise again the third day. Lord, if they believe that message, if they would repent and turn and put their full trust in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lord, you would save them today. Lord, that's our prayer. There's many here that have uh, family members and friends and those that they, they don't believe are saved. Lord, we pray, Lord, for their eternal salvation. Lord, for the others here that are hurting, Lord, that have burdens in their hearts, Lord, we lift them all up to you, Lord. We, to the best of our abilities today, Lord, we cast our cares upon you. Thank you for loving us, even when sometimes we're unlovable. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand one more time this morning. We'll sing our song of worship, Amazing Grace. My chains are gone. I don't know about you, we got all kinds of issues. I've got issues, but spiritually... My chains are gone, and they can be gone for you this morning. Please stand as we sing.
amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but Grace that's all my heart to feel, and grace my fears relieve. How precious is that grace of Thee! I first believe my chains are gone. Well, good morning. Boy, did you hear that voice? That's amazing, isn't it? Hey, you know, we can't give the uh, right hand of fellowship, but we have to give the fist bump of fellowship in the house of God. So give me the fist bump here this morning. Amen. Good to see you here today. I want to encourage your heart. I want to talk to you about the power of unity today. Uh, the power of unity. You know, the book of Acts is a, it's the record of majesty. It's the record of mystery. 
but it's also the record of miracles. And one of the great miracles in the early church was its incredible unity. They had diverse backgrounds, diverse cultures, diverse races of people, but they had a supernatural unity, the power of unity. You know, in the early church, they experienced Pentecost. How many would like to have been there when the Holy Ghost was poured out? Was that, was that something or what? They had, they experienced great power, they experienced persecution, but they practiced prayer continually. So I invite your attention to the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 this morning. We're going to look here in verse 31 and 32. Acts chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. As you find that, stand to your feet this morning, please, for the reading of the Word of God. Acts chapter 4, verse, sorry, 31 and 32. Let's read these verses out loud together, please. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Let's start over. Let's read these out loud together, please. Acts chapter 4, verse 31 Hey, pretend like you're from Brazil instead of uh, Virginia, all right? Just uh, get a little excitement. 431, let's read out loud together. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. They that believed were of one heart and one soul. Stop right there. Read that out loud. They that believed were one heart and one soul. That's tremendous, incredible unity. If you read on, you'll find in verse uh, 32 that uh, neither said any of them uh, that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. They had miraculous generosity. People who owned stuff went out and sold it, laid the money at the apostles' feet. Everybody's need was met. Miraculous uh, generosity. Look in verse 33. And great power, uh, with great power, gave the apostles a witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. They had great generosity. They had great power. They had miraculous grace. But behind that great grace, and behind that a great generosity, and behind that great power was miraculous unity. They were of one heart and one soul. Lord, would you give us what they had here in the book of Acts in this church today, one heart and one soul unity. For Jesus' sake, we pray with expectation. Amen. You can be seated. Now, the Bible tells us that they were daily from house to house. I mean, you didn't have to make an appointment three months in advance to go visit somebody. How many can remember the days when people just showed up and knocked on your door? Can you remember this? Well, they had, they had, they had tremendous unity. Now, the church in America has become basically two things. A preaching point and an activity generated. It's a, a preaching point, a lecture podium, and a, social, a center for social function. But the early church was more than a preaching point, uh, more than an activity generator. It was a fellowship. They were of one heart and one soul. And I want to tell you, when you have a one heart, one soul atmosphere in a local church, you will find they're always big on the one another commands. They are big on the one another commands. Bear one another's burdens. Listen to this. 
exhort one another. Confess your faults one to another. Forbear one another. You know what that means? Put up with one another. Forgive one another. Pray for one another. Now, when you have this one heart, one soul, miraculous, supernatural unity atmosphere, I'm just telling you, there's a lot of one another's going on in the house of God. Now, in John chapter 17, in fact, just flip over real quick to John chapter 17. I want you to notice how Jesus prayed that his followers would be unified. And this is the, this is the, the Lord's Prayer, John 17. Uh, Matthew 6 is a model prayer, but here's the Lord's Prayer. John 17, verse 20. John 17, verse 20. Notice how Jesus prayed. Neither pray I for these alone, John 17, 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Now he prayed for all his followers in advance. Verse 21. Notice how he prayed. That they all may be, say it out loud. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be, say it out loud, one in us, that the world may believe thou hast sent me. Verse 22, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be, say it out loud, even as we are, say it out loud. This was a prayer for unity among the followers of Christ. And Jesus said that the world would believe in the deity and the resurrection of Jesus based upon what they saw in terms of his followers in their unification. Now the answer to this prayer was realized in the upper room. Uh, the answer to this prayer was originally realized in the upper room where 120 people who had all forsaken the Lord, who were all failures, had gathered for a 10-day prayer meeting. And there in that upper room, they wept together. They worshiped together. I mean, they confessed their faults together. They sought God together. I mean, they, 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 they worked together. Now, there was one heart and one soul. A supernatural unity in the midst of incredible diversity. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. The whole body fitly joined together. Paul prayed for unity. Jesus prayed for unity. Colossians chapter 2, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. Notice this phrase, being knit together in love. You take a a strand of yarn, and it's not very strong. Somebody could snap it in half. But you take a woman who knows how to knit, and she can take those two strands of yarn and, and knit together a garment. And the Bible tells us that uh, the church of God should be like a knitted garment uh, being knit together. And I want to tell you, the strength of a knitted garment lies in its great number of close ties. The strength of a knitted garment lies in the great number of close ties, knit together, interwoven, intermingled. Uh, you know, one heart and one soul, and that's what the Lord has prayed for. That's what Paul was praying for. I want to tell you that God and man were one in the Garden of Eden. There was no distance between God and man. You talk about being knit together. 
I mean, uh, God, men, men, Adam and Eve enjoyed the presence of God. Uh, they, they longed for the presence. I mean, there was no division uh, between the husband and the wife. There was no division between mankind and God in the garden. But things went uh, fatally wrong, and those problems are still plaguing us today. Remember when sin came that Adam and Eve went into hiding? They hid from God as if you could hide from God. Uh, among the trees of the garden, here they are hiding out, you know, from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord comes and says, Adam, uh, where are you? <laughs> and you know, God wasn't trying to find Adam. God was trying to help Adam locate himself. And, and, and he was uncomfortable with God at this point in time. He was estranged from God. Now listen, Adam not only started hiding from God. Adam started hiding from Eve. Eve started hiding from Adam. And I want to tell you, the Bible says they went out and covered themselves with fig leaves. Fig leaves. Can you imagine? I, 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 don't, I, I mean, I don't know what a... A fig leaf looks like, but here they are. They got this. Uh, they got this get up on, you know, this uh, fig leaf outfit. I just hope that fig leaves don't have pointy stickers on them. Amen. <laughs> That'd be a bit uncomfortable. But here they are, and they're trying to hide. They're trying to cover themselves up. That there was this sense of shame, and, and mankind had been covering up ever since the fall. And I want to tell you, it wasn't long after the fall of mankind that the first couple had the uh, original domestic quarrel. It wasn't long after that, buddy, before they had a blow-up, I can guarantee you that. And the human race has been dysfunctional ever since. Now, not only that, but of the two offspring, first two offspring, one of them rose up and slew his brother. Dysfunction, uh, division, alienation, the loss of unity. And brother, we're suffering in a world today that is totally totally are divided. I mean, there's, there's class warfare. There's race shaming going on. And, and, and nobody seems to be able to get along. And people don't want... Uh, God's people want to get along. Say amen right there. We want to get along. We ain't mad at nobody. At least we shouldn't be. God help us not to be. My daughter-in-law came to me and she said, Dad, you have a very unusual family. I said, well, uh, what do you mean by that? And she said, you all like each other. I thought she was kidding. She wasn't kidding. We called a family meeting. I felt like we ought to have a family. Sometimes you ought to have a family meeting. I call them all in. Children, spouses, grandchildren. I said, Laura, tell them what you just told me a while back. She said, well, I told Dad that we have a very unusual family because we not only love each other, we like each other, and we like to be around each other. And I said to my family, I said, hey, this is precious. What strategies can we employ to keep family unity? Think ahead of the game sometimes. Family unity, supernatural unity. Now we're living in an age of disengagement, uh, alienation, isolation. You know, here we got the whole world shut down. Uh, and I won't go into that and give you my, I'll spare you from my opinion. Say amen on that point right there. I'm going to spare you of my opinion, but it's the same that most of y'all have as well, so you know what it is. But uh, we're living in a day of language barriers, racial barriers, cultural barriers. You know, in the 70s, they talked about the generation gap. 
because the old and the people are different cultures. How many know that millennials live in a different culture than most of us grew up in? Do you understand that? That's just the way it is, okay? But in the house of God, there shouldn't be any barriers like that. Uh, I was 15 years old. I grew up in Southside, Virginia. My dad was 46 when I was conceived. How many know some of the best things in life are unanticipated? And here I got the last train from Clarksville, and here I am, and, uh, and I come into the world. I grew up in a liberal church. I never heard the gospel. I never heard that Christ died for your sins. I never heard you must be born. I never heard none of that. And I went off to a, a Christian movie, a Billy Graham movie at a public high school. After the a movie, the guy got up and he said, a little ball-headed dude, he said, God loves you. He said, Christ died for your sins. He said, you can find peace with God by receiving Christ as your sacrifice. I never heard anything like this. Man, I went for it. I jumped on the bandwagon. I got born again. They put me back in a liberal church, which was a bad move. But thank God for the movie. See, man, right there. Tons of people got saved watching Billy Graham. Do you understand that? And if that offends you, you got a problem. I know that everything wasn't crystal clear. Right? I, know, I know all that. But uh, anyhow, I, I spent three years... Uh, in a wilderness, because I didn't even know what a Bible church was. I never, I never, there was just no, there were no good churches where I grew up. Well, three years later, a Bible study turned, uh, turned into a church, and, and, uh, I fell up in there with them. And you know what? Man, I, I, I had a, I had a army jacket. I had a big one-way sign on the back of that thing. I had it at the bottom, one way. I had a Jesus Saved sticker on my 71 yellow pinto. I had a zip up a black King James Bible. I didn't know anything, but I was excited. And, and, and I fell into this church. My hair was down to here. I looked like something the dog would drag up. But these people loved me. You know something? 70-year-old people were the, some of my best friends as an 18-year-old kid. I, I'm just There was no age barrier. There was no generation gap. There was no racial gap. There was no cultural gap. It was just, it was a supernatural unity, one heart and one soul. I know a lady who was teaching at Liberty University some years back, and she was teaching interpersonal communication. I said, um, well, what is interpersonal communication? What does this mean? She said, the kids have grown up in front of televisions and screens and computers. So we put them in a circle of chairs and we teach them how to have conversations. $30,000 a year to teach millennials how to communicate. This is where we're at in the United States of America. Uh, but in the early church, the total opposite. One heart and one soul. We're living in a day of loneliness, isolation. How many of you felt lonely during the, uh, the quarantine? Let the crooks out of jail and lock up the people of God. I feel like an election is coming up. But uh, anyhow, Bluffton, Indiana, 15-year-old girl wrote in her diary, she said this, I tried to get pregnant so I could have somebody to love me. 15 years old. I tried to get pregnant so I would have somebody to love me. Owensboro, Kentucky. Uh, uh, a man said this, I don't have anybody here I can talk to. A couple lived in Nashville, Tennessee. They invited us into their home. 
that we were the 20th couple they invited into their home. 20th in a six-year period. And the, the man said to me, Harold, you know how many times we've been invited out into somebody's home? Zero. Zero. An age of disconnectedness, isolation. Oliver B. Green said, I have many acquaintances, but very few friends. I have many acquaintances, but very few friends. If I had my life to live over again, I would make more friends. Now, the church of the living God is supposed to be a community, a fellowship. Now, listen, uh, we'll never have a perfect fellowship in this fallen world, but I believe we can do better than what we've been doing, and I believe that the church of God ought to be given to hospitality and community in a broken age. Now, the church, we have a unified mission. We have unique gifts. And brother, when you have one heart, and one soul culture, miracles can happen. When you have a one heart, one soul uh, atmosphere, miracles can happen. Nobody can minister to everybody, but everybody can minister to somebody. And if everybody ministered to somebody, a lot of bodies would get ministered to. Most of us have grown up in dysfunctional homes, malfunctioning homes. We're working with people today. They have broken hearts, broken minds, broken relationships, broken emotions. I'm just telling you, uh, Jesus came to heal the broken hearted. Somebody said that hurt people will hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. But healed people can heal people. And I want to tell you, the broken become experts in mending. The broken become experts in mending. If you get sick with cancer, you talk to somebody that's been through it, and they know how to mend you. They can help you. You talk to people that's been through devastating situations, and brother, they can help you. They can comfort you. Uh, they, God wants to use us all as healers in a sin-sick world. You say, well, how do you have a broken, how do you have a one heart, one soul fellowship? Well, I'll tell you, there's three simple words here for one heart and one soul unity. Openness. Say that out loud. Openness. Brokenness. Say that out loud. Brokenness. Oneness. Say that out loud. Oneness. You want a one heart, one soul fellowship in your family, in your church? I'll tell you what, openness. Openness, number one, is a willingness to know the truth about me. Openness is a willingness to know the truth about myself from God's point of view. I'll tell you, that's humiliating. <laughs> openness, a willingness to know the truth about myself. Openness, the willingness to let other people know me like I really am. And number three, it's a willingness to accept other people as they are. If there's no openness, there is no brokenness. If there is no brokenness, there will be no oneness. And if there is no oneness, there will be no revival, one soul, one heart atmosphere. You know when churches lack this instant, this uh, supernatural unity, you know what happens? They get cursed with institutionalism. I believe the Baptists have made an idol out of the local church not unlike the Catholics in this sense. It's the institution. Can I tell you something? 
We're not here to keep the institution going. We're not here to maintain the programs only. We're, we're not here just to give a fair show in the flesh. We're not, you know, you ever hear somebody say, well, the children are the future of the church. They're the, they're not the, they're the, they're the church right now. What are we talking about? So it's all about keeping up the programs, keeping up the thing, and when the heart is lost. And, and I want to tell you something, uh, when a church is ingrown, fellowship is peripheral. But I'm here to tell you, fellowship is essential to have a New Testament local church. They were of one heart and one soul. Organizations must be maintained. Organisms must be fed. In the 1970s, it was a revival age. Some of you were around back then, and, and you, can, you, can, you can concur with this. There was something going on back in the 70s. I'm telling you, the independent churches were on fire. We had no money, no experience, no buildings, but we had Holy Ghost fire. Can anybody, can anybody identify with what I just said right there? And churches were being planted. People were being saved every week. Thomas Road Baptist Church had 200 people walk the aisles every Sunday who had been saved as somebody went to their homes and prayed over them. I remember going out in the streets of Lynchburg in the early 70s. You'd see teams of soul winners on the sidewalk huddled up and praying for the power of God before they'd go into the house to visit. It was incredible. Uh, in the 1970s, uh, that's when the Jesus movement happened in California and a bunch of dopeheads got born again and got delivered from all kinds of stuff. It was Asbury, Kentucky, or uh, Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury College. They went to chapel at 8.30 on one Monday morning and eight days later, later they were still having chapel round the clocks, eight days, 24-7. Uh, the, the chapel lasted round the clock. Uh, for, for all those days, you know what was going on? One heart and one soul. You know what was going on? Kids were coming up and confessing their sins, finding deliverance. You know what was happening? People were getting right with God, getting right with one another. The television cameras came in. It spread across the nation. The Canadian Revival Fellowship uh, was birthed in the midst of this revival movement. It was, a, it was a fellowship movement. You know what they would do? They would preach. They would have testimony. They would have after afterglows where people would, would share their hearts and pray for one another. Some of these things lasted to 5 o'clock in the morning. In 1981, we had five meetings, five meetings that I would characterize as revival. Not revival meetings. I hate that word, <laughs> revival meetings. No, it was a revival. And, and, and what do you mean? Well, we'd go to church. The hunger level was through the roof. There would be preaching, testifying, singing. Then there would be a prayer room. Then we would have an afterglow. People would share their hearts till 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, sometimes 3 o'clock. It was a fellowship movement to where there was such openness. There was such brokenness. There was such oneness. It was absolutely incredible. One heart and one soul. And I want to tell you, when churches are tightly knit together. Hell and all its demons can't rip them apart. But when we're living individualistic, fragmented lives, I'm telling you, it's easy for Satan to rip us apart. Now I want to give you some things this morning. The Bible tells us that Satan is a deceiver. He's a defiler. He's a destroyer. And he's also a divider. And his one great goal is to uh, prevent one heart, one soul fellowship. 
I want to give you several things that Satan uses to drive wedges between people. Seven devices of the devil are to drive wedges between people and to divide them. Number one, mental criticism. Mental criticism. Dwelling on the mistakes, dwelling on the flaws of other people. Magnifying the negative, focusing on the uh, uh, negative, uh, and, and ignoring the positive. The Bible says, don't curse the king in thought or the rich in your bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice and tell the matter. Mental criticism. Do you ever have thoughts come into your mind about certain groups of people and you broad brush them? with the one fell stroke. Do you ever do that? Can I tell you something? Broad brushing is wrong. I, I said broad brushing is wrong. Most policemen are good people. Not all white people are racist. Not all black people are anarchists. we got to quit thinking like this. I know the media wants to stir you up. I, I, I know all of this. We better watch it. Mental criticism. Number two, verbal criticism. A device of Satan to divide people. Verbal criticism. A lady stood up in a church down in Florida. She said, I'm not used to talking to you all face to face. She said, I normally talk behind your back. Spirit of God ushered through that auditorium. We went on for 11 days of verbal criticism. Somebody said the tongue is in a wet place and it's easy for it to slip. Mm. Charles Wesley said gossip is anything you would say about somebody that you wouldn't say if they were standing right in front of you. Gossip is anything you'd say about somebody that you wouldn't say if they were standing right in front of you, but you'll say it when they're not standing in front of you. That's gossip. Only one thing travels faster than the speed of light. That's the sound of gossip. Where Satan doesn't go personally, he sends a critic. Bill McLeod, he said this. He said the favorite indoor sport of Christians is judging and criticizing. The favorite indoor sport, judging and criticizing. You know the biggest problem in the church today is not what the world says about us but what we say about each other. You should never repeat stuff you don't know to be true. And some stuff you know to be true, you shouldn't repeat that either. <laughs> some of it. <laughs> you ever get an evil report on somebody? I was in Nashville, Tennessee. We were in this revival church, and somebody would give me an evil report about the song leader guy. He was a friend of mine. Well, he just dumped this truckload of negativity on me, and I didn't verify it. I didn't confirm it. I didn't try to go to the guy and try to help him. I just I, he just told me all this stuff and, 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 and you know what happened? Uh, I didn't verbally criticize. I received verbal criticism that led me to mental criticism. Every time he'd stand up, you know what I'd be thinking? Mm -hmm. Look at him. Look at that guy up there, you know. And I didn't know whether what this other guy had said was true or not, but it, in, it impacted me and it poisoned my mind. That character assassination poisoned my attitude toward him. So you know what happened? A division, a wedge between us. 
At length, I went to him and I said, look, somebody told me some stuff about you. I don't know if it's true at this point. I don't even care if it is. And I don't even want to know. All I want to tell you is I'm sorry that our fellowship has been uh, divided because I received an evil report. And we got that thing sorted out. And we're back together like this again. Now, the Bible says, speak evil of no man. Mm. Now, there's a time to warn people, but by basically, speak evil of no man. Verbal criticism, guard your tongue. Let me give you a third thing. Mental criticism, verbal criticism, but a third thing Satan uses to divide people, an unforgiving spirit. An unforgiving spirit. Pofftown, North Carolina. A daughter who had been rebellious, who had gotten pregnant out of wedlock, came to her grandparents and wanted their, her parents to give her a quarter of a million dollars so they could adopt their grandchild, trying to extort money from her own parents so, so they could adopt her child. Can you imagine the pain? That grandmother forgave that girl. And I'm telling you, inside of a year, they got that thing sorted out. And, and brother, they got back together, but unforgiven. Now look, we're all going to be hurt. We're all going to be wronged. We're all going to be betrayed. If you do business with anybody in the United States, you are going to get ripped off. I'm just telling you, that's just the way it is. And you're going to have to learn how to forgive. Uh, D.O. Moody said that unforgiveness was doing more to hold back the power of God in revival in his day than any other sin, and I don't think anything has changed. And this unforgiveness has come in, where people wrong us, violate us, take advantage of us, lie to us, hurt us. I'm just telling you, uh, it, it can be a tool of the devil. That's why the Bible tells us we are to forgive others. Number four, fear of rejection, a device of Satan to divide people. Fear of rejection. How many of you think the church of God ought to be a place where people can hurt out loud instead of faking it till you make it? We're all going to go through hard times. Where in the world do these guys get the idea, your best life now? It might be your worst life right now, but the best is yet to come. Amen. You know, heaven's going to start looking better to American Christians after this thing. And after that, I don't think this thing is going to get over either. Let me, let me just give you a little heads up right here. Persecution is coming if you believe anything. And the devil owns the fence, so get off of it and take your side. When the church is forced to go underground, we'll know who the church really is, but we're getting a preview right now. We're getting a preview right now of who's really in the family of God. I'm just telling you. But, but the fear of rejection. Now, you know, uh, we got to work at keeping the lines of communication open. And I'm telling you, when you got a burden, the first place you ought to come is here. How many times when people run into a situation, they flee the house of God and, and they go somewhere else. No, this is the place we ought to be able to come for help, for hope, for healing, and for restoration right here. But we're afraid to be real because we're afraid somebody's going to look down on us. I want to just tell you something. You're in no position to look down on nobody. <laughs> and I'm not either. Trust me. Trust me. I've come to that conclusion. I'm in no position 
uh, to condescend and look down on people. Number five, uh, a device of Satan to divide us, disagreements, disagreements. The Bible says as much as possible, live peaceably with all men. As much as possible. Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. I was on the phone with a pastor in California. He said he was preaching on this text. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that hate you. I said, hey, that's a text we probably ought to bring out at least once a month in our culture. That's where we're at right here. Bless them. Now listen, the erection of barriers between us and others cause us to retreat into a place of hiding. But you know what revival is? Revival is when we get the roof off toward God. Openness, brokenness, oneness with God. Revival is when you get the roof off toward God and the walls down between you and others as much as possible. Roof off, walls down. Quit hiding. Quit hiding. Thank God I got some friends. One of them said to me about two months ago, he said, Harold, let's go for a 10-day covenant. I said, what do you mean? He said, a 10-day covenant to where we're not going to commit any intentional sins for 10 days. Hmm. I said, I'm in. I need this. And you know what? That helped me. I'm sure I sinned, but I didn't do anything on purpose for 10 days. How many know that sin, all sin is bad, but presumptuous sin is worse? How many know that? Presumptuous sin, on purpose, deliberate sin. So after that was over, I said, hey man, I think I need another 10 days. Let's go for it. Now I'm in covenant with two guys. <laughs> We're going on. We're going on. I don't know how many weeks this is, but at least no. But I'm, I'm, listen to me. Roof off toward heaven, walls down toward others. You know your secret mess is coming out anyhow because the hearts of men are going to be made manifest at the judgment seat. Some men's go, sins go before and some men's follow after. I'm going to send mine on up ahead of time because I don't want to deal with them then. I'm going to deal with them now. Revival is judgment, by the way. That's what it is. Now walking in the light means you're willing to get out in the open. You're not hiding. You're not concealing. You're just out, out, out in the open. Okay? Just We talk about being authentic here. We're talking about being transparent here. We're talking about being real here. So we're either tools of Satan to erect walls, or we can become an instrument of God to build bridges. And I want to talk to you about a one heart and one soul fellowship, and that requires effort on our part. Now let me give you uh, some steps to become a bridge builder instead of a wall erector. A bridge builder. How, do, how are we going to connect with people? How are we going to help people? How are we going to minister to people? How are we going to find help ourselves? Well, number one, get a clear conscience. Write that down. Get a clear conscience. Acts 24, 16. Paul said, herein do I exercise myself. I work at this. I exercise to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. 1 Timothy chapter 1, the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I was in 
Pennsylvania. A lady said one night, she said, when I was a teenager, I was so rebellious toward my father. She said, pray for me. I'm going home and I'm going to call my father and I'm going to ask forgiveness for being so rebellious and breaking their hearts. And we prayed over her and she went and she got that thing sorted out and came back the next night with a tremendous victory report. She got a clear conscience. I was in Annandale, Virginia. A woman came forward. She had a baby in one arm. She had a woman tagged on the other arm. And she said, today I went and asked forgiveness from the woman whose husband I stole three years ago. And now I'm asking you to forgive me as a church for living in sin these last three years. You know what the church did? They forgave her for living in sin for three years. We're talking about getting a clear conscience. We're talking about putting things right where things have gone wrong. A 14-year-old boy in Newark Valley, New York, was driving the car. The parents were out of town and he had a wreck, and so his sister, who had a driver's license, slipped in behind the wheel to take the blame. He didn't even have a license. And uh, that kid stood in front of that church and said, I've already asked my parents to forgive me for deceiving them, but she, he said, I've deceived you as well. And he asked forgiveness from the church for being a liar and a phony. And I said to the pastor, I said, a kid with that kind of courage and character is likely to accomplish something for God, putting things right. You've got to work at keeping a clear conscience. You've got to work at this. Saying stuff. How many know that you say stupid stuff when you're tired and angry? How many, how many know that's the truth? So never start a conversation with your wife after you've watched a Tucker Carlson clip on Facebook. Don't ever do that. My blood pressure is high to start with, but when I listen to one of them things, you know, in broad brushing, everybody's a crook. No, not everybody's a crook. There are plenty of crooks, but not everybody's a crook. Columbus, Georgia. There was this guy, he worked for a service station, and uh, he stole money from his employer. Uh, Twenty years had passed. Uh, he was in a revival meet, a, 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 a revival atmosphere not a revival meeting, a revival atmosphere. And uh, God brought that thing to his heart. He hadn't seen the service station owner for 20 years, but he said, God, if you ever bring that person back across my path, I, 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 I'm, I'm purposing in my heart, I'm going to put it right. He got up that night. The next night he said, when I got out of the car in the bank parking lot today, guess who I saw that I've not seen in 20 years? It was a service station manager. <laughs> He went up to him and told him the whole story, reintroduced himself, apologized, got right. I don't know what all they did to reconcile, but that guy was a Christian. So they had a real revival meeting right there in the parking lot. You know what he did? He got his conscience clear. Got his conscience clear. How do you get a clear conscience? Let me give you ten words. Number one, I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Say that out loud. I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? That's how you get a clear conscience. I was wrong. Sorry. Will you forgive me? I'm telling you, if you want to be a bridge builder, you've got to get a clear conscience. Listen, the scope of your transgression will determine the scope of your confession. If it's personal, tell God about it. If it's private, tell God and who's involved about it. But if it's a public sin, a public confession. Keep it like that. Private, 
talk to, talk, talk to God, per, per, personal talk to God, private talk to God and who's involved, public sin, public confession. I'm just telling you, you can get the monkey off your back. You got to have a clear conscience. Number two, you want to be a bridge builder. You got to empty yourself of pride. You got to empty yourself of pride. I'm, I'm just telling you, you got to get the beam out of your own eye before you can help the other man get the splinter out of his. An evangelist was exhorting a congregation to bring a lost friend to the service the following evening. To bring an unsaved friend to the service. And a pompous woman on the second row said, I don't have any lost friends. As if that was a badge of honor. I don't have any lost friends. Can I say something to you? The way some of us have been taught separation, we shouldn't fall in with people and participate in their sin, but we should befriend people who don't know the Lord and they don't have cooties and quit treating them like uh, uh, they're just sinners that need to be saved just like you and I were. Amen? we got to empty ourselves of pride. We're in the salvage people, uh, salvage business. You can't help people you're looking down on. Number three, if you want to uh, be a bridge builder, you got to forgive the people who have wronged you. Nothing easy about this, but there's something right about this. Massive hurts, wounds, and betrayals. 16-year-old girl in Chattanooga sat out with her father after church one night and said, I love you. He got up and walked out of the room. He was old school, one of those people that couldn't express love to his daughter. She chose to forgive him. A woman was 21 years old. She'd been attacked and molested. And she had a hatred in her heart for all men, especially one particular race of men. God worked in her heart, and she forgave, and she got set free. Nashville, Tennessee, a 13-year-old girl. Her mother had abandoned her and left her to take care of her siblings. She was only 13 years old. She looked like she was 39. Her mother had flown the coop, and here she was, responsible for her little brothers and sisters, and... She was raising her brothers and sisters, and she was able to forgive her mother, and God set her free. You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is me giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Forgiveness is forsaking the right of revenge. Forgiveness is me giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. That's what forgiveness is. Because vengeance is not ours. It belongs to the Lord. Let Him handle it. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice that must be confirmed. I remember one time we were in a situation. We got into a church that turned into a cult. Okay, just, that's what it was. It turned, in, it turned into that. And, it, and the hurt was devastating. And I had this whole file of uh, correspondence. <laughs> And uh, I have a backhoe out on the place down home. So I said, I'm going to bury, bury this thing, man. I'm going to get rid of this. I went out and dug a hole, a deep hole. A case backhoe can dig a deep hole if the ground is not rock hard. And I dug this big hole. And I took this file of correspondence and hurts and attacks. And I put it in that hole. And I thought, I was going to take care of this. <laughs> and I covered that thing back up. But you know what? That stuff was in the hole in the ground, but there was still a pain in my heart. And it took me uh, this idea of reconfirming. Uh, you, know, you know, forgiveness is just releasing a debt. 
It's canceling a debt. It's an acknowledgement. I've been hurt. I've been wronged. I've been taken advantage of. And, and it, it, it's releasing that. And it's giving up my right of revenge. It's giving up my right to hurt them for hurting me. Now, listen. Who needs your forgiveness? God don't want you to go to heaven alone, by the way. He wants us to have one heart and one soul. And he wants us to impact our culture. Who do you need to forgive? You know, we're either going to be a tool of Satan to erect walls or we're going to be an instrument of God to build bridges to people. And God wants to use us to close the gaps. Let me ask you, what bridges can you build? What gaps do you need to work at closing in your family? Parents, siblings, children, spouses, church members, leaders, one heart and one soul. God's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and have given to us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. 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 That's the ministry. Now, to achieve this one heart and one soul atmosphere, we're going to have to be totally obedient to the speaking voice of God. We're going to have to be compliant and totally obedient to the speaking voice of God. We're going to have to forgive others. Not easy, but necessary. Clear our conscience. Not pleasant, but beneficial. Sometimes you've got to care front people. You know what that means? That means you care enough about them to tell them the truth and try to help them. Sometimes you got to care front people. Sometimes you got to have hard conversations. You know, you just smile at everybody. You know, play play like your own Doctor Phil or something. I mean, sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta, you just gotta care enough to reach out and try to sort it out. Now, there's power in unity because the early church was of one heart and one soul. Yeah, they had great boldness, they had great grace, they had great generosity, but I'll tell you why. Because they had great fellowship. And you know, in a, in, 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 to have fellowship, you've got to work at it. It's not automatic. Not everything goes right. There will be differences of opinions, right? There will be differences of ideas. But there can be respect even though we don't see eye to eye. Okay? And I'm talking about the house of God. I'm talking about the people of God. One heart and one soul. They that believed were of one heart and one soul. And can I say this? Miracles can happen when people are in one accord. And when there's one heart and one soul, that's the atmosphere for miracles. That's what happened in the early church. They had miracle after miracle after miracle because of the tremendous oneness. A unified church is a powerful weapon in the hand of God uh, to effect change in the community, in our, in our families. But God's got to work in us before God can work through us. He's got to work in us before He can work through us. One heart, one soul. Does that sound good to anybody? Got to work at it. You know, sometimes in the family, things go sideways. It's the way it is. Every family. We had a son. And, you know, if we, if we devoted ourselves to anything, it was our family, okay? 
I, if we devoted ourselves, my wife homeschooled, we traveled together, we did everything. I mean, I mean, we were over the top trying to trying to have what we I never had, and we're trying to have a, a one heart, one soul family. We, we really tried it, and I mean, we really put a lot of effort into it. We had a child that um, one that um, departed for a season. You know what I did? Prayed, preached, bribed, pled, wept. I did everything. I did everything till there wasn't nothing else I could do. There wasn't nothing else I could say. So my wife is a spiritual one. She had already committed it to God. and and uh, So you know what we had to do? is We had to commit that thing to the Lord. Lord, we've done everything we can do. Seed's been sown, but... Uh, we're placing him in your hands. And you know what? Uh, that was the best thing I ever did when I stopped striving after I'd done everything I could do. I wasn't lazy. I did everything I could do. Did due diligence, but wasn't nothing else to do. Came over to the house one night. Said, Dad, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. I'm, I'm always blind. I never see it coming, you know. <laughs> started started to confess his sins. I said, hold it right there. I said, all is forgiven. You don't need to enumerate nothing. <laughs> it's forgiven. We embraced. And brother, we got a one heart, one soul fellowship going on, but it's not always like that. And sometimes we need to believe God. And can I tell you something? If you got the power of the Holy Ghost in your church, this helps. This helps the production of miracles. Amen? So in your home, in your heart, in your church, God wants one heart, one soul. He don't want us to be instrument of the devil to build walls, but he wants us to be an instrument of God to build bridges. And we can do this by the grace of God. How many are longing for one heart and one soul fellowship? Let's stand and talk to Jesus. Would you stand with me? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many here this morning would say, Brother Harold, God spoke to me about the need to become a bridge builder. God talked to me about openness, brokenness, oneness. How many here this morning we said, Brother Harold, God has put on my heart a strategy to employ to become a bridge builder, forgiveness, clear conscience. I need to do some things. I need to act upon this. I need to empty myself of pride. How many here this morning we said, Brother Harold, God's talking to me about steps I need to take to acquire one heart and one soul fellowship with my family and the family of God. Put your hand up way high all over the auditorium. About all of us. Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, may we have courage to become bridge builders. To forgive. To empty our hearts of pride. To get a clear conscience. And to take steps, uh, steps of peacemaking. Have your way. 
I just, we're not going to sing. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Dear sister, just play something if you would. God's talking to your heart. We're going to have a, we're going to have an altar call. We're going to have an appeal. We're going to have a, a time of, uh, response. You need to pray. Pray now. Be a good time to huddle around some people that's got some burdens on them. Be a real good time to pray for people in our own homes, our own sphere of influence, our own church. Take steps. Release some debts. Release all debts. Say no to condescension. Take those steps to get a clear conscience. Weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care. You should never be discouraged. Let's take it to the Lord in prayer. I want you to go to back right now and pray for not only your own situation, but for others. Just a little season of intercession. As she plays, just pray for others for just a moment. Our Heavenly Father, we need you today. We need your grace, your strength, your mercy, your help, your power. Father, thank you for the uh, assignment of reconciliation. Father, thank you for the miracle of unity they had in the early church. Father, thank you. They had great power, great grace, great generosity because they had great unity. Father, we pray now that you will heal the brokenhearted. And Father, we pray for restoration, reconciliation. God, make us diligent to work in these things, to keep our hearts and our minds and our conscience and our spirit in a place of clarity before you. Now, Father, we by faith thank you for working through this local church, God, to be a powerful influence, O oh God, uh, in the, in, in a testimony 